1: 9-1-1. Hey, I'm on Highway 255, and I've okay. got a, a female in the grass laying, and I don't know if she's unconscious. She is breathing right now, but there is blood all over the grass, okay?
2: It was 7.30 a.m. on Thursday, September 13th, 2018, 10 days after the death of Melissa Ramirez. A truck driver had just spotted a woman on the side of the highway 20 miles north of Laredo. When he approached her, he realized she had visible head trauma and was covered in blood, but she was still conscious. So he called 911 and urged them to come to the location immediately.
1: You can't miss us. We're in two big, huge-ass big trucks pulled over with our hazard on. I'm looking at Your her right She's still breathing. She's, she's breathing? Yeah, she's breathing, but she's got blood all over the grass over here. So, y'all better send a paramedic and the police yes. first. Yes, sir, of course. And get somebody okay. over here in a hurry because, look, okay. we already we're, late okay. i got to
2: return the Webb County investigator Fred Calderon was driving to work when he heard the dispatcher describe a possible auto pedestrian accident.
1: <laughs> Except when I get to the station, it looks like foul play was involved, and there's shell casings and belongings
2: everywhere. It looks like she had been assaulted. Mm. Calderon got back in his vehicle and rushed to the scene. This is Gone South. I'm Jed Lipinski. Episode 3 High Alert. By the time Captain Calderon arrived at the crime scene, an ambulance had already taken the victim to Laredo Doctors' Hospital.
1: You can immediately tell off to the side of the road that something had happened. There was belongings, you know, scattered about.
2: Among the victim's belongings, investigators found two pink spiral notebooks and a black coach purse containing makeup, condoms, and a cigarette box full of syringes. Lying in the grass were two 40 caliber Federal brand shell casings the same ammunition they'd found beside Melissa Ramirez's body. As Calderon assessed the crime scene, deputies at the hospital updated him about the victim's condition. And
1: I'm being told by the deputies that she was alive, but that there was massive trauma to the back of her head. We thought that there may be a point where she's, you know, lucid enough that she's able to tell us who, at least. Maybe not what, when, where, but at least who and give us some sort of information.
2: But his hope that the victim might identify her attacker didn't last. Less than an hour after she arrived at the hospital, she was pronounced dead. In leafing through one of the notebooks found at the scene, Calderon discovered that they belonged to someone named Claudine Luera. He was stunned.
1: And that happens to be the person we were looking for not more than 24 hours before.
2: In Calderon's interviews on San Bernardo the day before, several people had suggested Claudine Loera was close to Melissa Ramirez and might have insight into who killed her. But before investigators could find her, someone had shot her in the head. Was that a coincidence? Or did the killer know Calderon was looking for Claudine? Outside the tight circle of sheriff's investigators, Texas Rangers, and Border Intel staff, no one knew he was looking for her. Had someone leaked the information? or was the killer someone on the inside? Calderon didn't know what to think, but it was hard to avoid the conclusion that Melissa and Claudine were killed by the same person.
1: Based off of what we're being told by the medical staff, she has gunshot wounds to the back of her head. She's found a couple of miles away from where Melissa was. The same type of ammunition and the same casings were left behind. And they're both women who have a history with drug use and prostitution.
2: The similarities between the murders were obvious. Calderon decided to alert the district attorney, Chilo Alaniz. I get another phone call from the sheriff's office telling me, Mr. DA, we have another one. And the officer on the other side said, we have another prostitute found over there near the first area. Shot in the back of the head. Same M.O. I said, you know what this means? We may have a serial killer on our hands. I said, if you guys don't get this guy quickly, there's going to be more, you know, dead women. And we knew that it was a race against time to find this guy. The possibility that a serial killer was active in Laredo intensified the pressure on Calderon and his unit. Luckily, the investigators quickly developed a lead.
1: While we're going through the crime scene, there were a couple of cell phones left behind inside her purse or near her purse. And one of our investigators started going through it and he saw pictures of her with another person and that person she had been texting with and that was under Chone on her phone.
2: The photo in Claudine's phone appeared to be a selfie she had taken with Chone in a motel room the night before. It was attached to an apologetic text Claudine had sent to Chone later that night. It read, Thanks for everything. Sorry for upsetting you. Take care. Hope everything goes your way, for whatever it's worth. Calderon was alarmed by the text. Who was Chone, he wondered, and what had Claudine done to upset him the night before she died? A search of Claudine's notebooks revealed that Chone was a nickname for Encarnacion Trevino. He proved to have an extensive rap sheet including arrest for forgery, car theft, burglary, and possession of controlled substances. He apparently lived in an apartment in downtown Laredo, just a short drive from the sheriff's office.
1: We sent some of the guys out there to go see if he's there, and while the investigators are at his house, trying to knock on his door to look for him, they see a vehicle with a description that they're looking for, pull up to the block, see all the police cars there, and he turns around and gives chase.
2: Chone pulled a U-turn and sped away. Deputies jumped into their patrol units and chased after him, sirens blaring as they blew red lights and squealed around corners. The guys jumped in their car and try and chase after him, but
1: we we couldn't catch up to him.
2: Investigators' prime suspect, a possible serial killer, was now on the run. Calderon told his men their new priority was finding Chone Trevino.
0: They said it couldn't be done. They say it bordered on impossible. When
2: someone says I can't do something, I usually agree with them.
0: (laughs) And now, against all odds, this completely mediocre comedy podcast has done the unthinkable. They got listeners.
2: We got listeners. No way. Amazing.
0: Now available on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: I'm so happy
1: we're at Odyssey now.
2: Oh my God, they're
1: amazing. The Commercial Break Podcast. You heard it here
2: last. Colette Moreles, a physical therapist assistant, was driving to a patient's home in North Laredo when she heard on the radio that the unidentified woman found off Highway 255 had passed away.
0: She was alive when deputies arrived, but later died at the hospital. Preliminary
4: so when I get to my patient's house, the caregiver says, hey, did you hear about this? And I said, yeah, I go,
2: poor lady. What terror she
4: must have gone through.
2: When the appointment ended, Colette got back in her car and saw that her sister was calling.
4: And I answered and she said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I have family calling me saying that that was Claudine's body they found. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, you need to do something. She goes, you need to call people. You need to find out what's going on.
2: Colette was Claudine Loera's older sister. She immediately started calling Claudine's cell phone.
4: And it's going straight to voicemail. So I start panicking. My husband goes, babe, don't. Overreact. We don't know what's going on.
2: So Colette called a friend at the Laredo Police Department who put her in touch with the investigators on the case.
4: I said, look, I go, these people are calling my sister, saying that that was my sister's body. I go, these are her tattoos. These are her scars. This is the color of hair that she had last. He's all like, "Miss Mireles. He goes, we can confirm that, yes, it is Claudine Luera. And I think... Half the block heard me scream.
2: Colette was in shock, but she knew she needed to tell Claudine's daughter before she found out about it on the news.
3: I get to work and my manager comes up to me and she says, hey, there's um, your aunt's here to speak to you. And she said it in a positive tone, like there was no way that I could think something was wrong, but I felt Something was wrong.
2: Nine months before her aunt approached her at work, Claudine's daughter, Ciara Mungia, was struggling.
3: Yeah, so in early of 2018, I was 20 years old at the time. I was having like issues uh, just with myself, like in my life, and like depression and stuff like that. And I was just going through a lot, like with what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, where I was living.
2: Ciara and Claudine had been estranged for several years, but Ciara wanted her mom back in her life.
3: My grandpa basically suggested I go look for my mom on San Bernardo, and he felt that the reason why I had those problems was because I didn't have my mom in my life, and he wanted me to go and tell her.
2: Still, Ciara hesitated. She had read a story in the Laredo Morning Times years earlier that mentioned her mother had been arrested for prostitution.
3: I don't know, it just gave me a lot of anxiety. I mean, I knew she was addicted to drugs. I knew I was going to find her on the street and maybe not looking the best.
2: But Ciara eventually overcame her anxiety. One afternoon, she headed to San Bernardo Avenue to search for Claudine.
3: I go and I find her. And when I find her, you know, she starts asking for forgiveness and just telling me how sorry she is for the last couple of years and how now moving forward she just wanted to better her life for her children and for me.
2: Claudine's addiction had caused her to lose custody of Ciara and her four younger brothers years earlier. Ciara was raised primarily by her grandparents and her aunt Colette. Shortly after they reconnected in 2018, Ciara and Claudine met for tacos and talked about how to move forward.
3: Me and my mom came to the decision to take her to a rehab in Corpus Christi, which was Charlie's Place.
2: Corpus Christi is a two and a half hour drive from Laredo, but Charlie's Place was the closest rehab clinic Ciara's family could afford. Despite the years of turmoil, Ciara allowed herself to envision a future with her mom.
3: You know, I had all these high hopes taking her to rehab because, it you know, she just painted the most beautiful picture, like, I'm going to get better. This is the start of the rest of my life.
2: But rehab proved more difficult than either Ciara or Claudine had anticipated.
3: So during the detox phase, I received a phone call from her begging me to pay for the bus back or to go pick her up. It was a, uh, like a cold turkey detox, and her body was reacting very ugly. In rehab, when she called me and she was crying, I could hear the agony in her voice. I then realized the addiction was much deeper than I could even fathom.
2: A few days later, Ciara learned that Claudine was back on San Bernardo. Ciara was disheartened by her mother's failed rehab attempt. Over the next six months, they spoke only a few times. But in early September, Claudine started reaching out again. She told Ciara she'd just bought a new phone and hoped they could stay in touch.
3: So then she starts messaging me. She's asking for pictures so that she could save on this new phone.
2: Ciara had seen on the news that a sex worker named Melissa Ramirez had just been killed, and she could tell her mother was afraid.
3: I just know and remember her saying she no longer felt safe.
2: Over the next week, Claudine sent Ciara a series of tender text messages. Ciara remembers one in particular.
3: And she sends me like this beautiful, heartfelt message. It's like in Spanish. I'm going to read it. She says, Good night, mi bebita chula, hermosa preciosa, que adoro más que todo en este mundo. I love you very much and love you more than infinity and beyond, if there's anything farther than that. In my school and in my time, my science teacher said only up to there. Call me whenever you can, no matter what time.
2: It was two days later that Ciara's aunt Colette came to see her at work. On Friday afternoon, Ciara was at work when her manager said her aunt was there to speak with her.
3: And I said, what do you mean my aunt's here to speak to me? And she said, yeah, your aunt's here. And I just started nodding my head and she was like, you don't even know why she's here. Like, she wants to speak to you. And I just kept on, like, nodding my head, nodding my head. And I felt like I knew why they were there. I just start crying. And, you know, I run to the back and my aunt and my cousin follow me. And they tell me like my mom passed. And at this point I'm throwing up. I'm like hyperventilating. My aunt takes my keys. And then my cousin tells me that she was murdered. And at this point, I'm just, like, distraught. I'm confused, like, why would they hurt my mom?
2: Not long after, Ciara's phone began lighting up with messages directing her to Facebook.
0: Um, today, around 6.30 in the morning, authorities received a call of a woman who was injured. I go to Facebook, 55. and on Facebook, La
3: Loca shares a post stating that the second body found was my mom's body and says that this second body being found could be connected to the first body being found. The first unsolved murder that had happened the week before.
2: Until now, the sheriff's office and the Texas Rangers had remained tight-lipped about the investigation into Claudine's death. They did not reveal their suspicion that a serial killer was responsible. All they told local media was that a woman had died of head trauma in North Webb County. But based on the proximity of the two crime scenes and tips she'd received about Claudine's death, LaGordi Loca had drawn a connection between Melissa and Claudine's murders.
0: She passed away in the hospital, and it's being said that they were gunshot wounds.
2: In her posts and Facebook Lives, LaGordi Loca did not explicitly state her belief that a serial killer was behind the two murders, but the implication was there. Calderon said he and his team weren't concerned with LaGordi Loca's reporting, but she claimed certain officers took issue with it.
0: And a lot of them got pissed off because I was basically putting out information that wasn't out there for anybody yet.
2: LaGordi Loca justified her post as a warning to the citizens of Laredo, and local sex workers in particular. And it's like,
0: I was the one saying, like, hey, we need to know what the fuck's going on because this is serious, you know? It could be your daughter, it can be your niece next, or whatever it is. And, you know, people or females need to be vigilant.
2: Gordy Loca said her posts and the ensuing media coverage terrified residents of Laredo.
0: Nobody wanted to come out, nobody wanted to go out. You know, who's doing this and whatnot? You know, it was raising all these red flags. Everybody was on high alert. Everybody was
2: freaking out. Laredo was in a panic. Not long after LaGordi Loca's live stream aired, Calderon got a call from the Laredo Police Department. Chone, the suspect who'd argued with Claudine the night she died and later sped away from cops near his apartment, had called the sheriff's station. He wanted to talk. So
1: putting it in perspective, we have a dead female and we have pictures of her with somebody hours before she was killed we show up at the person's house and as soon as he sees cop cars there he takes off you know like a bat of the hell like they say so naturally we were hoping to get him to tell us you know what happened there
2: chone was brought to the sheriff's substation where calderon and texas ranger ej salinas were waiting for him according to a police report chone explained that he'd fled the cops because he had drugs on him Calaron then asked him about the photo cops had found in Claudine's phone of the two of them together the night she died.
1: So basically he tells us that, yes, he was in fact with Claudine the night before we found her. And he says that, you know, they knew each other, they were acquaintances, and they used together, by used I mean drugs. And he tells us that he did use her that day and that he dropped her off somewhere
2: else. Chone admitted that he and Claudine had argued that night, but he added that he'd spent the past two days looking for her. When Calderon informed him that Claudine had been murdered, Chone seemed genuinely stunned and broke down in tears. It was now 9 p.m. on Friday evening. The Webb County Sheriff's Office and the Texas Rangers had been following leads and conducting interviews for 11 days straight. Chone had seemed like a promising suspect but now Calderon wasn't so sure. Calderon and Salinas told Chone they needed some time, and they stepped out of the interrogation room. It was then that Salinas got a text. And out of nowhere, EJ gets a text from a trooper. The trooper was filling up his cruiser at a gas station when a frightened woman ran up to him and claimed she'd just been assaulted. So he was trying to grab you?
1: He
0: was trying to grab me and subirme, Palato subirme.
2: Salinas called the trooper back. All right, just hold on, okay?
1: Hey, um, she escaped from a guy that pointed a gun at her, and she's one of those girls, you know what I mean? And, um, she knows that guy's name, like, the first name and where he lives, though. just the first name, David. And that pretty much changed the whole direction of the investigation.
2: Next on Gone South... She escaped from a guy that pointed a gun at her.
0: Everything happened so fast, so, so, so fast. She's in shock, man.
1: After she calms down, she starts to tell us exactly what happened.
0: Turn around, please. Turn
3: around.
4: Hey, 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 hey!
2: If you have questions or information for the Gone South team, please email us at southpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Gone South is written and narrated by me, Jed Lipinski Executive produced by Jed Lipinski, Tom Lipinski, and Ken Lee Our story editor is Tom Lipinski Directed by Lloyd Lockridge Produced by Anna Worrell Edited, mixed, and mastered by Chris Basil Original music by Marshall Chadbourne Production support from Ian Mont, Bill Schultz, Bob Tabador, and Sean Cherry Special thanks to J.D. Crowley, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, Kurt Courtney, and Hilary Schuff. Gone South is an Odyssey original. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, Justin Alexander, an adventurer, was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive deep into our investigation and uncover the strange events surrounding Justin's disappearance in status untraced. Check out this sneak preview. And this last experience he had with Rawat, I didn't feel good about it. In fact, I felt it was dangerous. It sounds strange, but I just in my mother's heart, something was not okay. I felt that he was a nefarious character. Status Untraced is available now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.